Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's John McCure. All right, happy Thursday. The team is here. Sandy, Greg, Debbie, Adam, everybody's here. Hope you're having a great day so far. Another list is out ranking the best beer cities in America. Don't matter what this list says. We know who's number one. But the list put together, this list I'm holding in my hand, mm-hmm. says that our dear Milwaukee is number three. We're number three. We're number three. I guess out of 50, that's fine. Okay. We're number three. I mean, our baseball team is named after the industry. <laughs> You're right. That should score big-time points, right? So here's what they looked at. Breweries per capita. Bars per capita. Got a lot of those. We do. Average price of beer. Affordability of domestic beer, affordability of imported beer, some Yelp ratings, and a beer passion score based on Google Trends, whatever that even means. So they crunch that all together, and they say that Pittsburgh is the best beer city in the USA. It has more bars and breweries than the average city. A lot of people search for beer online, and they have really, really low prices. Get yourself some Yingling out there. I love Yingling. Yingling's finally available now, uh... The other side of the Mississippi. Typically hard to find. Yeah, yeah it is. Right. It is. So best beer cities, uh, Milwaukee. What do they have to say about Milwaukee, about why we are number three and what we have going for us? I'm going to read you just a little blurb because sure. it's not that long. The home of the Miller Brewing Company has a staggering number of breweries throughout the city, 3.2 for every 100,000 residents. That's more than double <laughs> <laughs> the number of, in average cities. Milwaukee has 38 bars per 100,000 residents. Uh, that's also double. What it is in most cities, even the they refer to this. Even the city's MLB team name is the Brewers. Milwaukee locals have little trouble squeezing beer into their budget. The average brew costing, what do you think the average brew costs in our city? So is this like a pint, like a, that that you're out or you're at the I store think so. and picking it up? I think it's out. Four and a half dollars. Hey, man, you're good at this game. Four forty. You a beer drinker? Yeah, okay. four forty. Four forty, which is less than the average city. So those are all good things. Definitely. Definitely. And in this study by Clever Real Estate, uh, they shouted out quote, supposedly the best breweries in Milwaukee. Yep. Eagle Park Brewing Company. Ding, Never ding. been there. It's wonderful. It's I'd like fantastic. to go. Absolutely fantastic. Where is that? Very clever. Uh, there's one off Hamilton, kind of by the old Trocadero. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And okay. then they just built a beautiful facility in Muskego. Oh, nice. Wonderful. Okay. Fantastic. And the one by the old Trocadero, funny that you, we use old landmarks like that. Yeah. And close to Red Lion Pub is, yeah, uh, they have a parking lot there. Trocadero now. I can't remember what it is, but we still call it the old it's Trocadero. Cool That's building. funny. Yeah. And Lakefront Brewery. Oh, yeah. That's a yeah, historic fantastic. tour. Absolutely fun. Which is all debatable. What are you going to fill your cooler full of? What kind of beer do you, when you're grilling? Liney. A lot of Liney stuff. Yeah. I'm a big Liney's fan, too. I, I think uh, Outboard is a great patio beer. I always have a yep. little bit of that. I have River well. West Stein right now in my oh. fridge. That's good. Um, Liney Canoe Paddler is my favorite, though. But right now, I just looked last night. I, was, I had a beer last night when I got home from <laughs> the baseball game, so I didn't have enough to drink there. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, good. And uh, I think we have 14 beers in there, and it's uh, a nice variety. I always have Miller Lite, usually have High Life. Uh, five or six Liney's beers is in there. I have Modelo in there right now, which I really started to like Modelo. That is a much better beer than Corona. Hey, the advertising's working, huh? It is. It is. <laughs> I'll hop on that train. I used to like Corona a little bit, but Mandela's a better beer. What's in? Uh, what's your go-to beer? 
I got to stock up at Woodman's. Oh, you make me thirsty. The go-to, the regular that lives in the refrigerator is the City Lights Brewing Coconut Porter. Oh, that's so good. It is divine. Yeah, you turn me on to that. That is really good. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I do think we have some sort of a light Mexican beer living in the refrigerator right now because it's just crisp and good after yeah. yard work. I'm going for seltzers now. I'm going to go out and buy. I'm going to buy like 50 cans of it tomorrow. Yeah, so you have turned a new leaf in the last 24 hours because <laughs> yeah. a drink that I think you have sworn off somehow ended up yeah. in your hand last yeah. night at this baseball game. I don't even know how it happened. I, I thought I didn't like White Claw, but I think I do. All of a sudden, <laughs> it's yeah. okay. Like it's it's okay. It's you can okay. drink it all for me. I, everybody thinks I'm going to be a White Claw drinker, and, and you're not. I'd rather have the good stiff belt. I'd rather have a bourbon than a White Claw. Yeah, me too. Inherently, I'm more a cocktail guy, but I drink a lot of beer too. I, I like it all. A little more but... calorie conscious, right? Yeah, not exactly. As sugary. So yeah, there's that. Yeah, uh, I had a deep eddy sweet tea seltzer last Spiked night. Sweet tea. Okay, it was good. It was really, I'm telling you, I'm going to load the fridge with that stuff now. Got to. I want to try some of the, like, they have, like, the margarita yeah, ones, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I got to try that. Yeah, you got your summer planned. Yeah. You Enjoy in moderation. <laughs> is it Friday today? Almost. Let's just pretend like it's Friday Friday today. Eve. It is 4.15 at WTMJ. Up next, Charles Benson, exclusive conversation with the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell. Charles Benson joins us live straight ahead on WTMJ. It's 4.15. TMJ Force Chief Political Reporter Charles Benson is with us this afternoon. Good afternoon, Charles. A correction, Chief NFL Reporter. Oh, who'd you get to talk to today? I got to talk to really an old friend of mine, uh, Roger Goodell, who's the commissioner of the NFL. And I say an old friend because I actually knew him before he was uh, the commissioner. And it just happened really? to be one of those circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Just growing up where I lived at one time, where his family uh, used to go in the summers, we used to see each other. So we kind of knew each other a little bit. And then he ends up marrying, you know, Jane Skinner, yep. who, if people will remember, you know, when I worked at Channel 6, she was a local reporter and anchor. So I got to know them even better at that time. And so it's just been this, you know, sort of fun relationship. I don't get tickets from him. I don't ask for tickets <laughs> from him, you know. Uh, but... um it, I think it allowed me, at least in this situation, to talk to him about this big, big event for Green Bay uh, by landing the 2025 NFL draft. Yeah, that is pretty cool. And Green Bay's been lobbying this for this for a long time. What did the commissioner have to say about why Green Bay was able to land this? So, it, you know, it, it really goes to the history and the legend of Town. You know, they know it's just, I think he used the word, this is going to be iconic. It's, it really is a perfect backdrop for the NFL to do what they do. Uh, by the way, this event, even when it isn't in Green Bay, does extremely well. I mean, Kansas City just held, held theirs, and it was 300,000-plus fans. Wow. That's over a three-day period. In Nashville, they held this thing. They had 600,000. Now, keep in mind, Green Bay is about the size of 100,000 for the entire population for the city of Green Bay. So, you know, this really is going to be a much larger event than actually the Super Bowl because it's a three-day event and so many people are going. Uh, but he knows that the backdrop, the community, you know, the, all the history that comes with Green Bay, this is going to be a good moment. 
Did you hold his feet to the fire on Thursday night flex scheduling? Coaches don't like it. <laughs> so I know a lot of people wanted me to ask that question, and I did tell them that I just wanted to talk to you about the NFL draft <laughs> In Green Bay. <laughs> so peek behind the curtain for us, Charles. When this happens, sure. as a journalist who's interviewed a lot of uh, high-ranking people, I know you don't like to give out questions ahead of time, but you just mentioned you told no. them you talk about – were you not straight no, from I that? Mean, I, I, yeah, I just really I, – I know a lot of people have a lot of other questions about football, you know. So, But this was really a unique chance, I think, to talk about this big event in NFL uh, for the NFL and for Green Bay. So – you know, I stayed really focused on that. What does it mean? What's it going to look like? I think a, a, a big question going forward is, is this event held inside Lambeau or outside Lambeau? And he said there are still discussions going on around that. You know, people, not everybody gets to go to Green Bay for a game. Uh, and But he f- knows and believes that a lot of people will want to come to this event because it's a free event. Now, there are ticketed uh, events for you know special access, but this is largely a free event. And so, if for people are like, yeah, I want to go to Green Bay. I've never been to Title Town. I've never been to Lambeau. It is in you know April, the end of April. Uh, so it brings not only just Packer fans and football fans. I, I you know I, we did something with our uh, uh, sister station down in Kansas City, and they went out to the draft day, and 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 it took them less than thirty minutes to find someone from every NFL team that wanted to be there. That's how big of a draw this event is. Since Mr. Goodell has overseen several of these draft events, did you get any impression of how he'd like to see the draft event itself maybe evolve and grow? Well, so that's what was unique, because he says the cities really get to put their signature on this. You know, he says this is really a moment for Green Bay to sort of, you know, show who they are, get, you know, their message out, to talk about Green Bay, to talk about the Packers. Uh, each city, he says, gets to put their signature, was the term he used on this. So it has evolved. It has changed over the years. You know, I, I, I asked them because, uh, uh, you know, this is one of those events. If you were to ask people, you know, what do they know about Roger Goodell? The two iconic moments are one when he's handing the Lombardi trophy over to the winning Super Bowl team. And the other one is calling out the names of the players who have just been drafted and how that is that life changing moment. But he says how all of this eventually plays out in each city uh, really comes down to the team and the, and the community leaders putting together a signature event that says this why. This is why we rocked it in Green Bay. TMJ Force Charles Benson is with us this afternoon. I want to pivot a little bit and ask you, Charles, about the presidential race. A new Marquette Law School poll is out. It shows Donald Trump with a slight lead over Ron DeSantis. My question is, uh, Nikki Haley at 5%, others at less than that. At this point in the race, with this so very far away, how difficult is it for someone like Nikki Haley to get traction and to climb, climb, climb? Can it still happen? Um, I think in politics, anything can happen. Uh, You know, it's still very early. People like you and I who talk about politics, read up about politics, uh, you know, pay far more attention to what would be really the, uh, the very early stages of the horse race. What will be interesting to watch is, you know, what sort of develops with either of these candidates, either in something they said 
or something they shouldn't have said, right? And how does that uh, you know, equate into either moving them down or moving them up? I still think, and we don't know what the clear picture will be yet with this presidential debate in Milwaukee in August, how many will be on the stage. But that will be a moment that... Uh, at least for someone like Nikki Haley, someone who's in that single digit to say, hey, you need to start taking a look at who I am and not so much and what, how I might be able to do the job better than the next person. That will be a moment, I think, that starts creating potential movement, either frontwards or like they didn't get anything out of this and they end up pulling out or dropping out of the race. TMJ4 Chief NFL Reporter Charles Benson. There you go. <laughs> Charles, thanks. Have a great weekend. All right. Thanks. You too. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. In a potentially dangerous situation involving an individual with a gun in a neighborhood adjacent to the school, Officer Brandon Ernst immediately notified his school administration and placed the school in a hold, allowing students to continue learning while the building was secured. Here's his story and Steve Scafidi's salute to service. Hello, I'm the principal at Waukesha North High School. I am nominating Officer Brandon Ernst for the Salute to Service Award because Brandon is an integral part of the work we do at Waukesha North High School. During a recent safety concern, Brandon was front and center with all of our protocols. Kids came to him with a safety concern because they trust him and they know him. And we as an administrative team trust his judgment. He keeps us safe, but he also makes our school environment incredibly positive and welcoming. Start with breaking news at 4, Waukesha police arrested a 17-year-old with a rifle near Waukesha North High School. Police say alert students called it in, pointing them to a teen in a backyard near Michigan and Green Meadow. This is Officer Brandon Ernst. I work for the City of Waukesha Police Department, currently employed as a patrol officer, but uh, my current assignment is school resource officer at Waukesha North High School. Been with the City of Waukesha for 11 years, and this is my second year as the school resource officer. You know, throughout my entire life, that identity of being a public servant or a first responder was certainly something that I always uh, looked up to and kind of aspired to. Um, and then just wanting to be there and help people, that's always been something that I looked forward to and wanted to try to accomplish myself. My wife is very proud of the job that I do, and my daughter's starting to kind of pick up being three years old. Um, you know, she's starting to tell me, you know, be safe every day when I when give her the hugs and kisses goodbye. So that's new that she's kind of getting to that age where, you know, it's, you know, bye, daddy, be safe today happened during our second lunch. There's two different lunches within our school, depending on what grades get released at certain times. And I was alerted to our front atrium by some students who flagged down a staff member. Then at that point, there were uh, a group of students that were kind of rushing back into the school from the school parking lot. They were very alarmed and concerned. They had informed me that they had just seen um, somebody wearing like a mask and had what looked like a rifle just adjacent to the school. And police are crediting students with safeguarding the community this afternoon, saying it was the students that first saw the rifle, reported it to the school resource officer, who then called police. Uh, as soon as that uh, was discovered, I immediately went to my police car, uh, went you know, flying to the last known direction that it was described, ended up meeting with the patrol officers, and we uh, kind of took opposite sides, setting up a perimeter on the location, and then the rest of the patrol kind of did their thing, they're trained to do, and you know, enveloped the entire area, ended up surrounding that residence, and um, thank God they ended up finding that individual he was you know, hiding in a local residence area with the rifle, but thankfully no one, no one was hurt. I could go on and on. Brandon is amazing. He's, the, he's a model school resource officer. Like, yes, he's got the safety part the police send down, but like, he's just amazing. 
What does being a first responder, what does salute to service mean to you? Salute to service, specifically related to first responders, um, to me means really putting out that positive message that contrary to sometimes what is often shown on whether it's television or the internet or social media, really puts the positive perspective. And I think what a lot of people truly get to see, but maybe just isn't in the headlines or promoted as often as maybe it should be, is that you know we're just regular people just like everybody else and we truly want to make a positive impact in the community again whether you're a firefighter a police officer a nurse teacher whatever it might be um, we all have that same goal and that's to you know be positive contributing members to the community and just try to make you know everyone's lives a little bit better Steve Scafidi salute to service presented by educators credit union and the packing house restaurant it is 443 at WTMJ It's Missing Persons Day. One of the biggest advocates, one of the biggest helpers of families in Milwaukee is our friend Tori Lowe. You can hear him on 1017 The Truth. Uh, one to four, that's when he's on over there. Check him out. Tori, thanks for sticking around and being with us in the studio. Hey, I love when I come through 620. I am excited to be here. We're excited you're here, especially today, because I really wanted to tap into this with you and have you give us some perspective. It's Missing Persons Day. And you work so hard to help families that have someone who's missing or someone who's had something rough happen to them. What's it like when you connect with a family and you're trying to nurture them and help them get through what's a really tough situation? Well, the first thing, you know, when you're dealing with any tragedy, anything like missing or violence or whatever, you got to listen. Take time to listen. A lot of people want to get in there and talk. But what I do is... I let them talk uh, and I ask questions and I try to figure out how much knowledge do they have of the situation or do they know if anybody else have any knowledge of the situation? Cause I got to comb through the situation mm-hmm. before I make a decision. So many times I'm there for hours, just asking questions and listening so we can make a move, the right move to try to figure out what took place. How did you get interested in, ah. I mean, you have a national reputation. You right. are the real deal when it comes to helping right. in these situations. How, how did you get interested? How did this start? Um, you don't choose it. It, it kind of chooses you. And I remember years ago, I'm talking about 2010, uh, a mother thought that she wasn't getting enough support to find her 13-year-old daughter. And she just hit me up on Facebook and was like, hey, uh, Tori, I see what you're doing, uh, for these other people in different scenarios. Help me. And I, I just thought it was like, what? But, uh, we ended up finding the young girl. Wow. And she had been sexually abused and they were about to ship her off to another state, the, the, the traffickers. Mm. So that's when I realized this is serious. And from there, um, I stayed with it. And, you know, it is random. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody can schedule, you know, these type of tragedies. So these situations are random. And so I'm prepared. I I had to shift my life to be prepared for the randomness because none of this is on a schedule. Well, the terrible thing is it's random coming to you from various families in our area. But sex trafficking in particular Mm -hmm. is organized. 
and is a real issue. Yes, it is. So to, the, to know that you can make an impact in people's lives, individual families, but hopefully the work that you're doing can also have a larger ripple to hopefully prevent things like sex trafficking from happening in our community. Well, you, you definitely run into sex trafficking when it comes to the runaway ideal of missing. Because many of the girls are, uh, you know, a lot of the runaway ideas are tied to human trafficking. So I remember when I first, because people was like, oh, she run, she run away, she don't want to be home. And when I started digging into some of the ideas of missing, there's a couple different missing ideas, but the runaway idea I found led me more to human trafficking. And uh, sometimes these girls are groomed, uh, social media. And so when you start digging into it and looking in their social media, the inbox, uh, these people are, they know who to pick to. They know yep. who to target. Because mm-hmm. uh, they're they are getting in the direct messages and asking those questions. Right. And, or they know who's vulnerable. That, and, and, and many times on social media, people wear their uh, emotions on their sleeve and they'll yep. say something that'll lead a predator to make you know make you out as a victim of what they're trying to do. When it comes to missing children and sex trafficking victims, Milwaukee is always, unfortunately, on the list of places where right. it's most prevalent. Why is that? Well, I think it's a lack of, you know, hearing the youth. Because the youth right now feel like they're unheard. And right now, there's an issue, you know, in public schools, uh, in homes, broken families, seven over on the north side uh, or in many uh, black communities, uh, 70% uh single parent households that leaves the door open for a lot of predators to come in because they don't have that yeah. uh solid foundation many times to spring from and many predators observe people that may have holes in their foundation as far as like friends family uh and now social media with the tool of social media they don't even have to look too hard all they got to do is scan uh the masses on these uh, social media sites. Tori Lowe is with us on WTMJ. You have taken this to heart to get very involved. Like you said, it, it shows you. Right. And how in the world can you say to a mother who writes to you or that you meet and says, I, I am so anguished. Can you help me find my 13 year old or, or my child? Like, I can't imagine that would be easy you, to you can't say no. I never have. And I don't know how yeah. you possibly could. You can't. I mean, it's uh, heavy, I have though. daughters. I have daughters. Uh, I have uh, family members have, that have been abused, sexually abused. Uh, I never knew that this would be the outcome of my life, but I can empathize. I can sympathize and understand the urgency of getting out there right away because time is of the essence. You know, they can have this this person across the country in a couple of days. So the sooner you can bring awareness, the sooner you can stir the pot and thank God for social media as well. Because many times um, I I had a huge following on social media uh, right now. I think I got 80,000 followers on Facebook uh, for helping the community. And I would post these uh, yep. people and people would just say, Hey, I just saw this girl or this person is over here. So social media became a great tool for me to actually really locate a lot of missing people. It's so interesting because it's a double-edged sword. You mentioned social media makes it easier for traffickers and people who want to hurt our children to do that, but it's also a great tool to communicate. I want to ask you about one other thing. So 
Uh, someone I told you were coming on the show, and they said, Tori has a way in people's darkest moments of making them smile. Right. And that that's so important when people are looking for hope. Can you talk about that? Well, the thing is, you know, it's, the situation is already bad, you know, and many times when people are stressed out, they're not functioning well. So what I found after many, many years of dealing with tragic situations is to try to bring a, a extremely positive look and know when to pick your spots to make them smile. And I know yeah. when to pick my spots. Uh, and they'll just start laughing. And, and at that moment, they can eat or they, yeah. they're not, they can, you know, laugh and, 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 and watch their favorite show that night. And, and I spend hours with these people. People don't understand the, the log time. Um, that's why most people, they don't have the time to deal with a lot of these situations, but five hours, six hours, 10 hours a day, you know, before I started working on radio, I would spend that much time wow. in these situations. And it would go from me getting a call about a missing person to me spending three to four days over there on that side wow. uh, with that family to get it done, to try to figure out what happened. Because I know time is of the essence. Tori Lowe, check out the Tori Lowe Show. Hey. On 101.7 The Truth, 1 to 4, right? 1 to 4, Tori Lowe Show, 1 to 4, every day on 101.7. <laughs> Thank you for the work that you do for the community. We appreciate it. Don't take it for granted. And I appreciate you guys because, like I said, um, reporting and and giving out information and bringing awareness many times is the only hope that these families have. Yeah. Have a great weekend. God bless you. It is 456 at WTMJ.